On October 31, 1983, the Korean Airlines Flight 007 departed from Anchorage, Alaska for a direct flight to Seoul, South Korea. Unknown to the crew, however, the computer engaging the flight navigation system contained a one-and-a-half-degree routing error. At the point of departure, the mistake was unnoticeable. 100 miles out, the deviation was still so small as to be undetectable. But as the 747 continued through the Aleutians and out to the Pacific, the plane strayed increasingly from its proper course. Eventually, it was flying over Soviet airspace. Soviet radar picked up the air. The fighter jets scrambled in the air to intercept. Over mainline, uh, mainland Russia, the, the jet shot Flight 007 out of the sky, and everyone on board was killed. Now, what's the point of the story? You need to choose your direction well. You need to choose your direction well. And although poor choices may hurt you in, in only minor ways for a while, the longer you go, the more harm they bring. You have to choose your direction well. And as we look at this passage, I think of the direction of the Christian life. This is one of the best passages to explain what does the Christian life look like. And how do we live the Christian life? It's not only uh, characteristics of the Christian life, which is found in verse 12, but also the actions of the Christian life, verses 13 and 14. But again, if you don't understand the Christian life, if it's off by a little bit, if, if, if the way you understand the Christian life is just a few degrees off, over time it's going to create a lot of problems in your life. Now again, let's look at the whole passage that we've been looking at for the last four messages. Paul starts out in verse 2 of chapter 3, actually verse 3, talking about the fact that he had no confidence in the flesh. And he went back to his, his life as a Pharisee, his life in Judaism, his life when he was trying to acquire righteousness by his own actions. And he says, you know, I have no confidence in that. By the way, it's the same here today. It's not by works that we are saved. It's by the grace of God through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Sometimes, though, people get religious. They come to church. They give. They, they're around other Christians and somehow think, well, I must be a Christian. God would counsel us and say, have no, no confidence in the flesh. In other words, it's not by the works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. It's by the grace of God. It's a free gift. Salvation is a free gift. Forgiveness is a free gift because of what Christ did on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sin. He purchased our redemption. So Paul went into that as far as it's not according to the law, it's not according to Judaism, it's not according to works, it's not according to anything that we do that we get righteousness. In fact, verse 7, it says, I count... I count everything but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. In other words, knowing him, everything else is dung. You don't need the law to make you righteous. Verse 9, And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And there's only two types of righteousness out there. One is the false righteousness of thinking you can produce it on your own. That's what verse 9 is saying. But again, not my own righteousness. That doesn't cut it before God. But the righteousness that we have through faith in Christ. 
there's only really then, therefore, only one true righteousness, the righteousness that is given to us through Jesus Christ. It's called imputation. And then in verse 10, that marvelous, just one verse, it says that I might know him, Christ, in the power of his resurrection. In other words, living a life of holiness because I experientially am knowing Christ more and more. It's not, verse 10 is not talking about knowing him as far as in faith, salvation. He's saying, I want to get to know him more and more. I want to become more and more like Christ as a Christian. Look at follow on, and it says that I would be willing to have fellowship of his sufferings, in other words, suffering along with Christ. Because if we represent Christ, and if the world hates Christ, the world's going to also hate us. And he ends with that statement, which is kind of almost odd, but he says, verse 11, but if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. In other words, even right now, living the Christian life as a resurrected saint. In other words, there's victory even on this side of death. So that's what he's done up to this point. He's saying, listen, I have no confidence in my flesh or the law or works. I'm saved by grace and grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. But there's a pursuit that I have in my, my life. I want to know him. I want to live for him. I want to, I want to walk just like a resurrected saint even on this side of death. And he closes it out in verses 12 to 14 by actually, again, giving almost a summary of the Christian life, the characteristics of the Christian life. The first one is this, that the Christian life is one of progress. See, for everything he has said, he wants to make sure that the people there understand its progress. By the way, let's remember that Paul is in jail, <laughs> Sometimes we think we have to live our Christian life when it's convenient, when it's easy. Oh, Lord, just let me get me through this trial. Then I'll really live for you. He's in jail. So all these things that he's talking about, he's saying, listen, this happens even in tough times. In fact, they might even happen better in tough times. It's one of progress. Not that I've already attained. That word attain means to lay hold of or to obtain or I'm already perfected. That means complete. I'm not, I'm not been completed yet. I haven't arrived at the goal that I'm going to refer to in verse 14. The principle is this. There is no such thing as complete perfection in this life. See, last week when we sat and, and I told you I was controlled by worry and fear, but now I'm confident and secure in the Father. Does that mean that I never worry? No. There's times I worry still, but I'm not controlled by it. There's been growth. But do you see what I'm saying? I, I, that was my one concern from last week. In fact, I almost said it. I want to make sure we understand we're all fellow strugglers. Just because I write something on a board doesn't mean that it's complete in my life. In fact, I, I even have another board up here. What else could I write? There's a lot of other things I could write. I could write a lot of different things that the Lord's dealing with me. I could write a lot of things that I have got progress on. I hope that you would too, right? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you could do that. But again, be careful that we don't look at that and the next time you see me worrying, well, I thought you were all done with that. Well, there has been a number of things that have happened in my life of recent. Things like I can't find a car that seems to work any length of time. <laughs> but as my wife said, I think I've responded a little bit differently than I would have 10 years ago, five years ago, two months ago. <laughs> it's progress. 
It is progress. I can, in fact, one of the things that the Lord has reminded me, and I'm going to start doing this because as I go back, I'm, you know, I'm 50 and I go back and I forget certain, I'm going to start doing a journal. I've never done a journal. I've done journals over the time. Just, but I'm going to start doing only because I'm forgetting certain things that are really important. I mean, how the Lord's worked. That's all I really care about, everything else. And it's not to be passed on to my kids. They can throw them away at the time that they bury me. But the point is just for me right now, I just want to remember. I want to remember some of the real specific things, okay? I, uh, I, was, I looked up an old message I preached 15 years ago, and, it was, and, and the, the header was, the, the illustration for the morning was the, all the things that had gone wrong that week. Uh, the four-wheeler had broke. The plow had broke. Um, the car had broke when we went took the kids to Danville Dental. But then, my, my, I think it said my two-year-old youngest daughter, which would have been Amber, had choked that day. And thankfully, nothing happened. And that put it all in perspective. But I had forgotten the fact. I had to read it. And then, oh, yeah, I remember that. She choked. Now, I, I, I'm, I'm saying the thing about journal because some of you may want to. And I don't mean where you're writing, you know, t- ten, 10 paragraphs every night. I'm just saying when things really happen, write it down. It's just a praise thing, you know, where, Lord, I see how you're working, and sometimes you can track it easier. So, the Christian life is progress. There are no, like, sudden jumps. Um, it's just a, pro- it's a progression. I-, I could show you the chart. It's not like you go along, and then all of a sudden you learn a truth, and it's just suddenly you just are, are, are brought up into the heavens, and, and almost like the holiness movement would say the perfection has hit you. And you just don't have to deal with that sin ever again. It won't even be on the radar. It's a, no, it's a, it's a daily struggle, and you have victories, and many times you have many victories, but at times there are defeats, and the thing is God is changing your thinking as it pertains to the Christian life. See, when it comes to Paul, I think we have to make sure, we remember he's the one writing this, and somehow we look at Paul as being like the extraordinary, miraculous, like he really doesn't struggle type person. I mean, is he really like us when he says, I'm not apprehended, that I have not been become perfect? Are we really convinced that this is the apostle speaking? I mean, it is true that he had an exceptional birth, just his growing up years. It is true that he had an exceptional ability. He was highly trained. I mean, Paul was definitely unusual. He had an unusual conversion on the road there. And not only that, but um, just his whole life. I mean, he, he was used by God in a miraculous way. But how do you think of him? I mean, is he the miraculous person standing in a category on his own? Like, maybe he didn't quite have the struggles we have. So, like, when we look at this, yeah, this might apply to him, but it really doesn't apply to us like this because he was so much different, so much better. One man said this, It is very difficult to think of Paul having the struggles and conflicts which we experience as Christian people. I find that true, Paul. It's hard for me to think of him like that. I suppose that most of us, some of us especially, tend to idealize the apostle's life to such an extent that it almost becomes of no value to us as an example and illustration of Christian living. Sometimes we might look at Apostle Paul and say, Well, he was so different. And yet in Romans 7, as a mature Christian, he says, remember what he says? The things I want to do, I don't. And the things I don't want to do, I do. I have this struggle. It's a sin principle. It's the flesh. So again, I hope we understand that Paul himself, though an exceptional man, was a fellow struggler. Which means 
that we are all fellow strugglers. This, this creates vulnerability and transparency in our life. This creates an ability for me to be able to share. This created the ability for some last week to stand and say, this is what the Lord is working me on, right? This is what the Lord's working But more importantly, this. That's what he keeps working with me on. I can, I can be vulnerable because I know you're all fellow strugglers. If I felt like, well, maybe three or four of you had hit perfection, well, I don't want to show. <laughs> you know? I mean, that's why Paul was willing to say that Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost, not that I was foremost. And you might say, well, you mean he was that ungodly of a sinner? No, he knew his heart. He knew his heart better than anyone else, so he could say that of himself. I could say the same thing of myself. I know myself. You don't know me nearly as much as... You don't know the struggles, just like Sola doesn't know her struggles. I mean, she knows her struggles. So again, Paul, even in 1 Timothy, saw himself periodically missing the mark. So again, Paul was not satisfied. He was not complacent. He was not content with his spiritual progress. That's really what I want you to get out of this. He's saying, I'm, I'm continuing on. I, I want to see more growth in my life. And he understood that that growth took time, that it wasn't going to be some sudden, where all of a sudden I learned this truth, and it was going to just jettison me right you know, forward, almost like a slingshot effect. No, it's going to be a struggle, but it's going to be a great walk. And it's not going to be necessarily simple. I remember one time... Um, Someone in our church, this was years ago, they've since no longer in our church, but they came to me and they handed me a pamphlet. It was just like a, a small little pamphlet. I couldn't find it. I was actually looking for it earlier. And they said, John, I believe this, that if you knew everything within this little pamphlet, it was biblical truth, it was good truth, but if you knew everything in this, that's all you would need for the Christian growth. And his premise was this, if I could get that, then I would have consistent victory in my life at all times because I knew the truths that were found in this little pamphlet. And I thought, how stupid. No, I, I, well, I didn't even think that. I mean, it was just how foolish. But now I would say how stupid. You know, I mean, how foolish? What are you talking about? Do you see how, do you see how now his hope was in that? And then, well, why, why, <laughs> why have this <laughs> if everything was found in that? And, and it's, it's just a way to, you know, veer you off the path. So the Christian life is one of progress, but the progress is incremental. There are defeats along the way, and I keep going like this because the upward path is going forward up, but there's going to be downsides. There's going to be times of repentance, times of failure, repentance, and so on. Well, let's look at the second one. So he says it's, it's progress, but I press on. This is the Christian life is one of activity. I press on. The oko. I follow after the King James says. In fact, that same word is found in verse 6. It says where, where he says they're persecuting the church. That word for press is also translated persecute. It's also used again in verse 14. I press toward the goal. What's Paul saying? He's saying this, he was zealous earlier before salvation to persecute. He's now zealous to pursue. But the reason that word is so important, because you can see the intensity. The same way that he was willing to persecute the church, he is now ready to pursue Christ. There's an intensity, a high level of intensity. 
It's the same, the word could be used for striving, to struggle in the direction of a goal. Again, there is no sudden, there is nothing sudden about spiritual development here. He's just saying, I'm, I, in fact, it's in the present continuous tense. I am continually struggling, pressing on towards that goal. He doesn't see it like this, like all of a sudden he's going to learn that truth and it's just going to bring him right up to the Christian walk into perfection and on to eternity. Now I press on. I'm struggling. I, you know what? I, unless, except for the fact that Philippians says it, I would not picture Paul like that. I picture Paul, the great apostle Paul, who probably, you know, never had an issue of loss, never had an issue of fear, never had an issue of worry, never had an issue of discontentment. He's just perfect. Well, he's not perfect because I know he, but But he says, no, I'm pressing on. See, he, he knows the goal, and the idea is he is straining every spiritual muscle, as it were, in order to accomplish that goal. Which tells me that the, because the Christian life is active, it's not passive. By the way, again, do we see that it's progress and not passive? Some of us live passive. Example, we get up, we get our cup of coffee, we turn on the radio. We get our shower, we do our hair. We brush our teeth, hopefully, we get off to work. We've never gotten into the Word of God. But then again, he's my father. He's going to take care of me. I go through eight hours. But I think like the world because I haven't had any input from God's Word. And I get home, probably a little frustrated maybe. The kids, the dog, the wife. I just be left alone. Can I just watch a game? I want to just relax. Give me the, the thing that makes me relax. And you go through, you know, day after day, hey, I can fall into that too. Wait a second, the Bible says that the, the, the Christian life is progress and that it's active. I've got to be actively involved. I'm, I've got to get into the Word of God. I've got to make that priority. I know there was, a, there was a study done by the Southern Baptist Church. I believe it was this last year. Uh, Ken Kroniger was telling me about the study. It was done out of the uh, theological seminary out of Louisville there, uh, Southern and, uh, but their question was this, why is the American church, why are the Christians in the American church uh, so biblically illiterate? Why are they so ignorant as pertaining to the things that have to do with the Word of God? They were trying to answer this question, why is it that the church doesn't really have a great connection with the Scriptures and really understanding truth? They might be able to present the gospel in a simplistic way, but really not get, you know, understanding truth. And they did a study to figure out why is that, again, among the Southern Baptist uh, people that go there. And they were questioning some different things. Is it the version? Maybe it's the way the church is structured. Maybe it's the pastor. Maybe they need more pastors. You know, why is it that Christians are just not that understanding in, in the teachings of the Word of God? I mean, what is it? And you know what they found out? It's simply this. People don't read the Bible. That's simple. Why are they illiterate? Why Not illiterate, but, you know, do not understand and really understand the teachings because they just don't read it. I could say, well, that's them. But I look at myself and I wonder about us. Is it you? You know, sometimes we have the book and we may look great, but the question is, are you on a regular reading program? 
Because again, unless you're getting into the Word of God, the Word of God is going to create the renewing of the effect on your mind that is needed, right? If you didn't eat breakfast and lunch and dinner by a couple of days, you'd be really feeling it, probably within the first meal. But sometimes we go days and weeks without truly getting into the Word of God and then wonder why we are spiritually starved. God still loves you. God still loves you, right? God still, I mean, you are secure in Christ if you're in Christ, right? You are secure in Christ. And yet we can live a very, uh, we can live a powerless life before him. Get into the Word of God. So, I mean, the Word of God, I mean, the, the Christian life is one of, of, um, of progress. It's one of activity. We need to get into the Word of God. Philippians says this, Therefore, my beloved brethren, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Again, just a couple a chapter before this. It's God that works, but we need to put work into it. It's, 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 a, it's a work of, well, I guess you'd call it this, grace-motivated effort. <laughs> grace-motivated effort. The paradox of the Christian life is this, when it comes to working activity. It is a working on our part, and yet a realization that we could not work unless we were being worked upon. So, just because I say that God is working through us doesn't give me the right to say, well, I'm not going to get into your word and pray and be around your people and seek to be obedient to you. So it's one of activity, and then finally, it's one of assurance. Look at the last part of verse 12. Christ, uh, that I may lay hold of, that's act of, because why? Christ laid hold of me. Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. So the principle is this, that Paul knows Christ has laid hold of him and still holds him in order that he may arrive at the goal. There's an act of passiveness. I may lay hold of, I have to do something, Paul says, because he's already laid hold of me. In fact, one author said it this way, the assurance of salvation is grounded in knowing our imperfection and desiring to pursue Christ. That's where our assurance is found. My assurance is not found in the fact that I'm living the perfect life. In fact, sometimes I think that's why people don't admit their sin and confess their sin. They're almost afraid of their sin. But what does the gospel do? The gospel says this, you are accepted in the beloved if you're in Christ. Therefore, I am able to admit my sin. Why? Because I know that I'm secure in the gospel. Now, if I'm secure in the gospel, now I can, I can find assurance, not in my perfection, but in the fact that, that Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. He goes on, he says, Surely the people who say, I am dissatisfied, I am conscious of my imperfection, I am aware of my sin, sin. I am not what I ought to be, or who, who, or who are aware of how they fall short, who cry out with, like Paul says, Oh, wretched man that I am. I mean, this is the person who says, Listen, I know I sin. I know I'm imperfect. I know that I can look really good for you right now at 11.30 Sunday morning, and I can have some major temptations and trials with, let's say, anxiety. I can see that. I can say, oh, wretched man that I am. But why can I? Because I know that I'm not hanging on to Christ. Christ is hanging on to me. And if I know the gospel, I can also say this, that it's true Christians who are willing to be able to be that vulnerable. See, unbelievers aren't willing. No, they, they want to hide their sin. It's the true Christian that can find assurance because they have been held, they're being held by Christ. Christ is one doing the holding. So we find assurance in that. 
But the question is this, is this your experience? I mean, with all your energy reaching forth to apprehend Christ, is that your experience? Is there a passion in your heart to truly want to know Christ better? Are you, are you quickly able to admit your sin? I, I hear of people, and again, I do believe they're true believers, but they'll say something like this, I've never heard my husband ever confess his sin. I'm not saying he's not a believer, but I think that's so odd. Isn't that odd as a Christian? Never? You mean you, you've never had reconciliation in the marriage? Anything that happens, it just kind of continues on? See, are you, are you satisfied with your Christian life? Let's take another aspect of this. Or do you see yourself as progress? Does that discourage you or does that excite you? For some people, that discourages them. I just want to get to the end. I just want to relax. No, it's not about that. It's about the pursuit of a great goal, which is the goal of knowing Christ, as far as experientially knowing Christ, like verse 10. I mean, do you long to go forward? Are you, again, a discontented Christian, a dissatisfied in the right sense? My wife would say, well, you're dissatisfied and discontented on so many things. You always want to have some change. No, no, I don't mean that. That's sinful at times. But I'm just saying there's a, there's a yearning in your heart that, yes, I know where I'm at, but I know that God wants to still work in my life, and I'm excited about that. That's an excitement there. Why? Because that means you don't have to label a person. Things can change. Isn't it great that things can change in your life? That, you know, maybe you're dealing with something even right now, or maybe you've seen it 10, 20 years ago. That should be the message that we give to kids especially, especially teens. All these things, and they do certain things, and sometimes they fail. Hey, there's hope. Why? Because Christ is king. Why? Because Christ is king, and you've received him, and he's in your heart, and there can be change. That, to me, is exciting. If it wasn't for that, then this is just religiosity. Let's do something else with my life. But the fact that people can change, and there should be an excitement in our heart to change, and we shouldn't fear when, in other words, when God shows me this, I don't have to run from it. Because I'm secure in Him. I did, by the way. I told you. When He showed me pride, I ran. There was certain sins I just ran. Oh, I can't be me. That's not that bad. Come on. Well, let's, let's look at the labor of the Christian life. I've given you the, the characteristics. Let's look at the labor. The first one is self-examining. Self-examining. See, we're in this race, and our eyes are set on the prize. But how can we arrive at the goal? How can we really be effective in this Christian walk? And he, he starts out in verse 13 by saying, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. I don't, okay, again, there's progress. We've already, I mean, but now he's saying, I count myself. That's, that's where I'm getting self-examination. I count myself. The word count or regard is a computing term. It's a calculation term. I mean, he's already told us he's not perfect. But now he's saying, I count myself. I regard myself this way. The idea of count or regard is, is this idea. That if I tell you that I that I count myself to have $2,245 in my checkbook, that indeed it's a calculation term that means I indeed actually have $2,245 in my checkbook. If you went to the bank and you found out I only had $13, you'd say you're incorrect. It's No, the word means that I'm really looking at myself properly. In other words, it's, a, it's an analysis term in, in that, okay, this is what... I have in the checkbook. Well, what he's saying is this. Brethren, 
I don't count myself to have apprehended. I look at myself and I see where I need changes going on. See, he's, he's able to examine himself. Self-examination, self-examining of his spiritual walk. I wrote a few things down. I think he was balanced in this. Because as soon as I talk about self-examining, by the way, when we come before the Lord's table last week, hopefully you examined yourself. Hopefully you made sure that you came before the table in a worthy manner. Why? Because the Bible says you could, God may, may strike illness and possibly even death in a Christian who takes it in a light manner, comes before the table in an unworthy manner. We should be examining our walk. But here I believe he's, he's balanced. I, I'm not talking about... See, some of us are perfectionists. And when I use the word self-examining, oh, yeah, I do that all the time with every move I make, and that becomes morbid. I'm not talking about that introspection that just zaps the spiritual life right out of you. Because it can. It can. Hey, if, if God is truly king, if he is on the throne, if he has brought me into his family, if he loved me and, uh, even while I was yet a sinner, he will show me. I mean, I need to open my life up. I need to say, Lord, examine and show me the areas. But we don't have to get morbid about this. We don't have to get so analytical and so detailed that we just become depressed on every move we make. In fact, I was thinking that, you know, if I, if, I, if I do more repenting on the average than rejoicing in who God is, if, if I see my, my, uh, my sins as big and God is small, then I would say I'm, I'm falling out of balance. Because God should be big, and we should be rejoicing in who he is. Yes, there are moments of time when, yeah, we do a lot of repenting. But there should be also times when we do a lot of rejoicing and worshiping God, isn't it? Oh, man. I, I've changed here, by the way. I, you looked at me 15, 20 years ago. It was probably more morbid. I mean, I just analyzed every, every action, every thought. Every, is this really... It just zaps you. I'm secure in Him. He loves me. I can enjoy the ride. Can't you enjoy the ride? We should be able to enjoy the ride. It's hard at times, and we can talk about laboring and striving for Christ, and that, that's part of it, but that's not the only part. There should be mo- times, not moments, just times of worship, times of thankfulness, times of being almost like your, your heart is just free and you're just kind of like, you know, just and, and you almost lose yourself in the text, and thank you, Lord, and I don't have to walk away. Every time reading the Bible, finding some sin I have to change. Many times that may be true, but many times it's not. Lord, it was just great to worship you. See, I, I counsel, and sometimes I, I, I think that might be the one possible pitfall of a biblical counselor. You're always, you're always on the search. You're always on the search for what the next sin, the next problem, the next weakness is. Well, there, that's, there's a place for that. But we have to be balanced. God is big. God loves. Nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ, right? And so we can uh, rest in Him. And, and I mean that. We can rest in Him. So, we, so he, he's, he examines. He's willing to do that. 
By the way, he was still, though, discontented. I want you to get the balance between, I mean, the balance between balance and discontented. He wasn't satisfied. He, I'm not saying that he was complacent. By the way, complacency is a great danger. Just, we need to be dissatisfied to a degree. I believe a, a, a mature Christian can both be dissatisfied and yet really exalting in Christ, really praising him. Why? Because he was dependent. That's the third part. See, Psalm says this, Search me, O God, know my heart. See if there's any hurtful or wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. In other words, Lord, you search me, you show me, but you're the leader. And that's that, that relationship of being dependent and yet still responsible. Lord, I, I want you to show me, as I was telling you earlier, but how does he show me? I need to get into his word. I need his book. And if it's true of the Southern Baptist Church, I'm sure it's true of many, many other Christians as well. We don't get into the book. We need to get into the book. So we need to be willing to let him examine himself, as Corinthians says. We need to look at our life, and not just our actions, but our attitudes. And Lord, search me and know me. Lord, you search me. Because if you tell me what's going on in my life, if you show me, and you show me how to change, then it will be lasting change. So, are you willing to examine? Next thing is, are you willing to concentrate? That's the second action of the Christian life. There's exertion. He says, but one thing I do. Now think about that man running the race. He... When you see a true runner, he's not concerned about the landscape, right? I mean, if you watched one of the Alfred Allman um, Central School kids that are on the track team, long-distance race, and you started watching them, and, and this kid was like running, you know, looking at the landscape, you would think, <laughs> he's going to trip. And yet, you know, when it comes to Paul, he says, this is what's important, and yet, if, you, if we look at our own spiritual life, sometimes that's what we're doing. We are so distracted with the things of this world, and, and it's no wonder we're, we're tripping up. See, he was not distracted. The world has a lot of distractions, but he was not distracted. By the way, that's part of the Christian life, is, is saying there are a lot of distractions. Right now, the pol- politics can be a huge distraction for you. Is it Romney? Is it Ron Paul? Is it Santorum? Who's going to win the next primary? Doesn't matter. Someone's going to win in November. You know, and I say that because I, I could be a politics junkie very easily, and I just choose not to. But he what? He's 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 concentrating. There's a story told about a a guy who was going down. I think it was in uh, Ireland, and and he was driving his car, and and there was. Um, there was a, a, a bunch of sheep. And in Ireland, a lot of times, the sheep will be right in the, right in the road. And so he had to slow down. But then he noticed that there was a sheepdog. And the sheepdog was trying to rally these sheep to get across the road. And he was running back and forth like a sheepdog does, you know. But then the, the, the guy in the car was noticing that along with the sheepdog, there was this other little terrier, apparently from the other side of the, in another house or something. And the terrier, rather than trying to help the sheepdog get the sheep across the road, which was trying to distract the sheepdog. He was like nipping at his legs. You know, and you can think the big, big sheepdog, little terrier. And, uh, but what he noticed about the sheepdog is he kept his focus on the sheep. Like, I eat this one thing I do. 
and finally got the sheep across the road and the distraction and then probably bit into the terror. No, but just, <laughs> but the point is, that's just a pretty insignificant illustration, but the idea was he kept his focus on the sheep and the job. And for us, we need to keep our focus on Christ. Keep our focus. Let's make sure we get him off of the distractions of the world. We can very easily get distracted. The distractions just might be media in general. have nothing to do with politics. The distraction even might be your own family. I'm not saying you give up on your family. But you still have to keep that one. The goal is Christ-likeness. We have to keep focused on the goal. Like in Psalms 27, David said, One thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Catch this. To behold the beauty of the Lord. If there's a, what, do, what is that one thing? It's to behold the beauty of the Lord. Christ-likeness. Pursuing Christ. Now, again, all these other responsibilities are there. I'm not saying to give up on your family or your children or whatever. All I'm saying is, what is the priority? What is the priority? Number three, not only, not only are we supposed to <clears throat> examine ourselves, not also concentrate. By the way, when I say concentration, I mean don't be spasmodic. <laughs> or, or let me say it this way. Determine a plan and seek to execute it for at least a month. If you decide to start reading through the Bible, do it at least a month. Some of us are so spasmodic. We, oh, we get real excited about this for three days and we're over here for three days. And, and, and get distractions out of your life. I remember uh, about four months ago, I was looking at my office and it's still not exactly the way I'd want. I'm not perfect in this, but I had all these piles, a lot more than I even have right now. And uh, I was talking to Brendan and I don't know why, but the Lord used him, I mean, specifically in this once, because I was like, you know, becoming overwhelmed with these, you know, piles. Any of you have piles? They're really frustrating. You just want to like throw them all away, but the problem is something good in there. What if? But um, he, he said, you know, John, one time I bought a Bible in the front, I think he said this way, in the front of the Bible, I had someone written this, eliminate to concentrate. And, and, and from this point on, my to-do list, I always write that at the top of my list. Eliminate to concentrate, and I put a red line under it. Eliminate to concentrate. Eliminate distractions. Many of us have a lot of things we should eliminate if we really want to concentrate on this one thing. Number three, forgetting. Forgetting those things which are behind. In other words, forgetting. No longer caring for. Now again, he's not saying that we should deliberately forget the past experiences and the things how God has used our life. What he is getting at this, as far as success is, he means that we should not rest upon our past experiences, merits, or successes. Don't, don't build your life on what has happened up to this point. Learn, I mean, if it's, if it's, if it's got, to your, got to do with your failures of your past, I would say this, you learn from them and you move on. And rejoice in God's forgiveness, right? If it's something failure. If it's your successes, you still learn from them, but the idea is the runner focuses forward. Sometimes we do focus. Sometimes even as a church you can focus uh, in the past. Oh, isn't the Lord been great that he has protected our church for 35 years? Yes, we should rejoice in that. But you know what the real test is right now? What is it? What, are we looking forward? What is he doing now? Not what he did 20 years ago. In our life, you may look back and see some great successes, great victories, how God worked. But that's not where our eyes are. Our eyes are forward. 
Now again, in the context, Paul is saying, listen, I have no confidence in the flesh. I don't look at anything that I did in Judaism as being uh, extras towards Christianity. But again, the idea is forgetting. We Self-admiration threatens our progress. If we look back with self-admiration, that can threaten our progress. So we keep our eyes forward. It's amazing in Scripture, if you ever thought about it, how many sins were committed by old saints, not new saints. David, that was in the latter part of his life. Moses, you know, after 40 plus. I mean, it's not like in the young years, it's in the older years. I think there, there's an admonition here. We need to make sure that we're looking, for Job, his whole struggle, second part, right? We have to look forward. We have to keep, don't worry about what God has done, learn from it, thank God, move forward. And then finally, stretching, reaching forward to those which are ahead. I press towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Reaching for, stretching. And again, the prize there is Christ-likeness, Christ himself. That's the prize. The, uh, you could call it the upward call. David Livingston was asked when he was back in England briefly after having worked in Africa for many years, Well, Dr. Livingston, where are you ready to go now? This is what he says. I'm ready to go anywhere, providing it's forward. I like that. Yeah, just go forward. I want to go forward. In other words, I'm not in a, a relaxing mode. I'm not in a retirement mode. Get in a retirement mode, you'll, you'll, uh, you'll not finish well in the Christian life. So this reaching forward, this stretching, uh, pictures a runner straining every nerve, every muscle as he keeps on running with all his might towards the goal. His hand stretched out as he wants to grasp it. That's very convicting. Because as you think of the Christian life, sometimes we put the goal at the memorization or the goal at the reading or the goal, let me pray for 15 minutes or let me fellowship. No, no, the real goal is Christ's likeness. The real goal is Christ himself. So he's, he's running, he's stretching. But by the way, I don't like running. Every time he uses running thing. I remember I only ran for one, I think it was two months in my, I think it was maybe my eighth, I was eighth grade. I remember running. And then I remember stopping. And my gut hurt so bad. I thought, this is terrible. I hate this. So I quit. I don't quit many things, but I didn't quit that. It wasn't worth it. I didn't care about the prize. I didn't care about the trophy. I just didn't like it. But there came a day in my life, and I like working on the gym, but I didn't like that. And for you who would like running, you're, you're an odd sort. No. <laughs> I watched Paul Welker, and i like, man, how does he do that? I just could never do that. But I remember, as I told you one time, my brother-in-law, Rich Tinno, was having this, like, Church Olympics, you know, and the last event of the Church Olympics was this race around the entire property of the church parsonage uh, property there, and uh, a number of us were in the race for this, you know, the final prize, and I didn't want to do it, but then what happened was Sola was there, I was just dating her at the time, and Sola was thinking of liking one of two guys, myself, or this other guy, he's the bad guy named Rob, and <laughs> and I remember I was... Now, that race, I, can, I got into that race, let me tell you. I, got, I even prepared. I mean, I, you know, stretching, we're going to get this. 
as I told you, we ran around the entire property, and as I was coming around on the way up, and I could see the, the goal, there was a telephone right here pole, and he was coming around this side, and I ran him right in that pole and won. <laughs> And seven children later, I'm here to tell the story, right? <laughs> but you know, as I think about that story, the prize was totally different. High school, trophy, didn't mean anything. I didn't care. Quit. Prize? I mean that seriously. When we're talking about the prize and the stretching, if you say the stretching is like, I just want to know God's word better. I want to become more obedient to him. I want to pray more. Those are all great disciplines. I want to be with his people. No, I want to be like Christ. That's the prize. That's the goal. That changes the whole reason why we do devotions. Let me close with this final comment. That's actually a, a thought. The guy said this, In the New Testament, the gospel is several times referred to as the gospel of God. Such an expression should be understood in the fullest sense possible, the gospel of God. The gospel is called the gospel of God not simply because it is from God, not merely because it is accomplished through God, but also because ultimately it leads me to God. Now catch that. It's not just from God or accomplished by God, it leads me to God, who, who is himself the greatest prize. Indeed, what makes the gospel such great news, or such great news is God, who brings me to himself and then gives himself so freely to me through Jesus Christ. He goes on, the essence of eternal life is not found in having my sins forgiven, though that's an aspect of eternal life in possessing a mansion in heaven or in having streets of gold on which to walk forever. Rather, the essence of eternal life is intimately knowing God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Everything else that God gives to me in the gospel serves me, serves merely to bring me to himself so that this great end might be achieved. Christ died for the forgiveness of my sins so that I might be brought to God. Christ is preparing a place for me in heaven so that he might receive me to himself and have me forever with him where he is. And the streets of gold undoubtedly lead to the throne of God himself. See, the gospel brings us to God. That's the prize. Why did I run so hard in that final race? Because that is the final race. Because the prize... Why should we be running so hard? Why should we be willing to examine ourselves? Why should we be willing to concentrate? Why should we be willing to stretch? Because it's Christ. So as you look into your, you know, even evaluate your own time with God, let's say you are having devotions. Is the purpose of the devotions the relationship you have with Christ? If you decide to memorize, is it because you believe that that's going to enhance your fellowship? in your walk with Jesus Christ, you become more like him. And when we pray, it's not just about the list, it's about the fact that we are communicating and communing with the prize, with Christ himself, right? That transforms what we call devotions. That will transform. When we start remembering, and not that you have never known this, but let's face it, it's about the relationship. It's about the relationship. That's the prize. That's why I'm willing to stretch. That's why I'm willing to sacrifice it's not about some cold-hearted, just cold disciplines. It's about my pursuit and your pursuit 
of Jesus Christ. And at this time, we can sing praises to him together. I, I trust that your heart is open to him. I trust that right now you say, yes, I'm a believer. But if you have found yourself in this mechanical Christianity, just going through the most, I would encourage, Lord, forgive me. And then really sing out to him because you want the relationship restored to him. Let's sing as, let's stand as we sing.